Nation Tuesday Law and Gospel on this August the 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. With me will be Pastor Mark Smith as we look at the hymn, Son of God, Eternal Savior. It was written by Somerset Thomas Corey Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. He died in 1932, and he wrote this socially-minded hymn in six stanzas in 1893 while he was serving as vicar of North Homewood in Surrey. It was first published in the periodical Goodwill in February 1894, and it appeared shortly thereafter in a 1895 hymnal of the Christian Social Union, a group founded in 1889 within the Church of England and dedicated to addressing the social and economic needs of the less privileged. Each of the four included stanzas because Stanzas three and five are omitted in our hymnal. Alternates praise and supplication, making reference to Christ's eternal attributes and earthly ministry, and then praying that we live our lives according to his example. This is the hymn of the day for Epiphany 4 in the three-year series and also proper 17. So, Pastor Mark Smith, this hymn, Son of God, Eternal Savior, are you that familiar with it? Oh, yeah, I love this hymn. I'm surprised to hear that it's used, uh, it's, it fits in twice twice a year. Yes. It, it, Epiphany, Epiphany 4, and also, as we know, this... Uh, to, uh, upcoming 12th Sunday after Pentecost. They, they they plug it in twice a year, huh? Yep, yep. Well, it's a great hymn. And it's under the category of society. Right. One of the problems with Christian doctrine that many have, including Lutherans, is we really hesitate to talk that much about the necessity of good works because it leaves the impression that we're saying that it is our good works that not only are pleasing to God, which they are, but also aids us in obtaining heaven as our home. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, nevertheless, good works are important. They're not, they're not necessary for salvation. Our salvation's already been established, and that needs to be made clear. But nevertheless... Uh, God wants us to do good works, which he has actually, some of which he's actually appointed beforehand for us. Yes, the analogy I like using is when you have a child, the child as he's growing up does good works for the parents. Maybe he makes his bed, takes out the garbage, does the dishes, wash the car, cut the lawn, etc. But none of those good works are the reason why the child is your child. That's right. Rather, they are taking place after 
the child has become your child by birth or adoption, and therefore the good works don't make him your child, but they sure take place when you have a child, and that obedience is out of love for the parents. And yeah, that's how and it, it works in Christianity. Yeah, and it's God-pleasing, and it also it, it does indeed please us parents when they, when they do that. So let's begin with the first stanza, if you would be so kind to go over that. All right. Son of God, eternal Savior, source of life and truth and grace, word made flesh whose birth among us hallows all our human race. You, our head once throned in glory, for your own will ever plead. Fill us with your love and pity. Heal our wrongs and help our need. Now, there are a couple of really important points here. He is Jesus, Son of God, referred to as the source of life and truth and grace. We are not the source of life and truth and grace because those are gifts from God who became flesh. And it says, whose birth among us hallows all our human race. How is that understood? Well, that's, you know, I, I'm open to your uh your own opinion on that, Tom. I, you know, we usually think of his his suffering and death as hallowing the entire human race, uh, make, making us holy. Of course, the Holy Spirit is important in that. Uh, as important as his incarnation is, uh, his birth, his nativity, as important as as that is, uh, I usually think of his yes, his passion and his. Uh, his suffering and death, and of course his resurrection, as as being so important in the, in the in the part of hallowing the whole human race, redeeming all of mankind. Well, let me answer your question: How his birth among us hallows all our human race? We have distinctions in theology are really really important, and. One of the distinctions, remember, I don't know if, how many times we've talked about this. I have, I put on the board for the youth confirmands, steps going down and then steps going up. Right. What are the steps going down referring to? That's his state of humiliation. Very good. And what is the first step in his humiliation? His, I would say his uh, conception. Exactly. And therefore, his birth among us is part of his humiliation. And that's why he hallows all our human race. He does not get birth or incarnated as a giraffe or a deer or a cow or an amoeba or a piece of grain. He gets indeed as a human being, he becomes incarnated. And that's what it means that he's making holy our human race because he's restoring us 
to what we once were in the Garden of Eden, and that's how we are hallowed. Yeah, it's it, it's certainly important, as, as we all know. We confess that all the time in the creed. Conceived, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate. Yes, and as becoming part of the human race, he now becomes our head. The next line because he's throned in glory, which is referring to what other item? Not his humiliation, but his... Yeah, your head once throned in glory. Uh, is, that, uh, is that talking about his head crowned with thorns? No. I would say that that's his exaltation and his being taken back to heaven uh-huh. at the right okay. hand of God. Okay. So both the state of humiliation and exaltation in in the first verse. That's how I read it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, in light of that, remember, each part talks a little bit about who Jesus is. And then the second part of each verse talks about what we pray from him. And what do we pray from him in the first verse? Well, you know, it's interesting. Your head once throned in glory, and then it goes right to his uh, his office as uh, uh, our, our prophet, priest, and king. He's at the right hand of God. Uh, for your own will ever plead. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing right now. He's pleading at at the right hand of his heavenly Father in our behalf. Yes, and that's why our prayers are always through Jesus. That's right. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And what we're asking, of course, while we're here on earth, we want to be filled with his love and pity and heal our wrongs and help our need. And we can pray that because that's a promise from him. And that's what part of the gospel is. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's right. All right. Beautiful hymn. Yes. Stands to two. two. Okay. As you, Lord, have lived for others, so so may we for others live. Freely have your gifts been granted. Freely may your servants give. Yours the gold and yours the silver. Yours the wealth of land and sea. We, but stewards of your bounty, held in solemn trust will be. What does it mean to be a steward of his bounty? We are stewards. Uh, we, we've been entrusted with, uh, with what he's given us. You know, we... Uh, we don't, we don't get to keep all this, you know. We, we <laughs> all we can do. We've been entrusted with so much bounty, so many blessings, each of us, and uh, it's it's entrusted to us in the hope that we we use it to God's glory and to the benefit of our fellow fellow human beings. Yes, the the second verse is talking about our response to 
Jesus having lived for others, therefore, what should we do? We love because he first loved us. We show we live for others now as he did for us. Yes, may we for others live. Remember, what are the two basic summaries of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, uh, the uh, two summaries are the first. The first table of the law has to do with our our devotion to our heavenly Father, and the second table, that would be the the fourth through the tenth commandment, has to do with our uh, our, our love toward our fellow human beings. Yes. So, as the lawyer said to Jesus when he asked, "What are the commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all your." heart, soul, mind, and also your neighbor as yourself. yourself. Right. And that's where he ran into problems because he did not consider Samaritans to be his neighbor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and we fall into the same pit ourselves whenever we, we think of our worldly adversaries and, and enemies and uh, we don't consider them our neighbors. We, we make the same mistake. It's interesting to note that the theme of the three readings for this Sunday, Proverbs 25, Hebrews 13, and Luke 14, all have the same theme. In other words, we are to love our neighbor as Jesus loved them. In fact, I like that one parable that Jesus, well, he tells them, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So Jesus isn't saying don't invite them, but don't invite them with the motivation that they're going to repay you when right. they invite you. But what does he right. say? When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now, have you ever done that? Where you've invited uh, no. the... Only to the point of, uh, well, like... <laughs> No, I, I think we. I think that shows our old Adam, uh, Tom, our old sinful nature. How rarely we think of uh, inviting and helping those that cannot pay us back somehow. I think even 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 some of our uh, our good works are tainted by that selfish nature. Um, now I will say at Christmas time we we do invite. Uh, we've got some friends that we invite, and uh, and really not thinking that they're going to pay us back in any way. We just want to include them. Maybe they're uh, a single, bachelor, uh, widowed, and we like to include them because we don't want them to have a lonely Christmas, that sort of thing. Well, let me help you with that. I have often invited uh, to the meal those who are poor, and I, I've invited uh, the the sick, uh, the real sinners, etc. And I do that continually. And guess what, Mark? You do that in Christ. 
No. Okay. You do that yourself? Yep. Well, I have to credit you for that. But you're going to be credited also. <laughs> I'm talking about the dinner called oh, the, the Eucharist. The Lord's Supper. Jesus is talking about the church here. I see. In fact, hmm. I, I that's saw never, a sign. That's never occurred to me. That's never no. occurred to me that he's talking about the Lord's Supper here. I saw a sign on a church. You know, we go and visit churches in uh, Illinois. And the first time I saw it, I said, well, that's a strange sign. But you know what it had on it? And it's on there still today. What's that? Everyone is welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I yeah, first we... saw that, I said, well, they should be talking about what they're welcome to. But the more I thought about it, especially when I read this gospel, when we have the greatest feast that we can ever have, which is giving them the word of the Lord in sermons and liturgy and hymns, I'm sure that at your congregation, they invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, because every member is crippled, lame, blind. Remember? Blessed yeah. are the poor, poor in, in spirit, spirit. for yes. theirs is the kingdom of God. And so I'm confident in the church that you're helping out with right now, they would not exclude anyone who wanted to come to the worship service. No, not at all. Absolutely. Everybody's welcome. Even even unbelievers are welcome. So oh, no, they're really the welcome. Yeah, yes. Especially. Well, because every one of your members, to a degree, is an unbeliever when they sin. Yeah. Well, of course, but uh, I'm talking about, you know, people that are outside of the faith. I mean, we, yes. we especially welcome them to come and hear the good news. Exactly. And especially those who are living lifestyles that are contrary to the Word of God. We need to bring them in, not only to hear the good news, but also to hear God's law against that kind of terrible behavior in right. order that they might repent of it, be saved, and then join with us in the Holy Supper as they come to a proper understanding of Christian theology and the means of grace. Yes. So when I read that, I, I was going to say, yeah, I'll bet you Mark never invites the poor, et cetera, to his home, because I don't either. <laughs> you know? uh, but our home is also the church. That's right. So let's go ahead with verse 3, if you would. Okay. Come, O Christ, and reign among us, King of love and Prince of peace. Hush the storm of strife and passion. Bid its cruel discord cease. By your patient years of toiling, by your silent hours of pain, quench our fevered thirst of pleasure, stem our selfish greed of gain. Notice there's no translator here. Yes. Why is that? 
Well, it, it's obviously it was an English hymn. Yes, Lowry was from England, and boy, does he have some good ways of saying things. Quench our oh. fevered thirst of pleasure, stem our selfish greed of gain. Oh, it's beautiful. I'll tell you that those lines down there, by your patient years of toiling, by your silent hours of pain, quench our fevered thirst of pleasure, stem our selfish grief. I just love that verse. And the, and the final verse, I don't want to go ahead, get ahead of ourselves, but by your praying, by your willing that your people shall be one. I mean, I, I just love uh, those verses. Now, I want to return to what we wanted to start with. This is not a hymn toward justification. No. What is it? Sanctification. Yes. And what's the difference? Well, justification is it's pure good news for us, uh, sharing with us how Christ has redeemed us and uh, gives us all sorts of promises. This uh, this is more uh, motivating A response. Us. A response to that good, gracious news of the gospel. Yes. And going back to the original thing I had at the beginning of this program, children love to obey the parents the more they realize how much the parents love them. Yes. And that love, therefore, is not a condition for becoming a child, but it is a response of the child as they live with their parents. That's right. Response. Yes, you got it. That's right. And so this is really important that this hymn be recognized as one which really shows how we are to respond. In fact, what we do on Wednesdays is we often go through the book of Proverbs, and we're going to do a little something different with Proverbs tomorrow, but it's going to show how we respond once we have come to full faith. And that occurs at our baptism or in reading God's gospel. And you were interested in verse 4, so why don't you go and read that? Okay, gladly. Son of God, eternal Savior, source of life and truth and grace, word made flesh whose birth among us hallows all our human race. By your praying, by your willing, that your people should be one. Grant, O oh grant, our hope's fruition. Here on earth, your will be done. Now, that phraseology might be confusing to children. What does that mean? Grant, O oh grant, our hope's fruition. Well, our hopes are, you know, by your praying, by your willing, that your people should be one. And we pray now, grant our hope's fruition. Grant that that hope that we have, that your will be done on earth as in heaven. In other words, what we're asking for, and that's what I'm trying to say about the word fruition, is that once we realize what Jesus has done and is doing for us right. in praying, that we would therefore bear fruit according to our hope. The fruits of faith. Yes. Big, big difference between a good work, which anybody can do, outwardly 
and a fruit of faith, which is a good work done properly with proper motivation. And that motivation is so clear because we love that Jesus prays for us and that he wills that the people should be one. And therefore, we bear fruit that the people should be one. I mean, that does occur in congregations, does it not? Oh, yeah. By your fruits, you shall know them. You shall know them by their fruits. I've been very fortunate that the congregations that I have been affiliated with, and there have been a number of them, that there is a, a real desire to be one with one another as well as because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, there are some congregations where you'll have a great split among them, and that often is done to sometimes personality conflicts or doctrinal conflicts. But in the congregation that you pastored for years and the one you're in right now, I I don't think that you're really confronting doctrinal problems that people don't believe the Word of God. No, not at all. Not at all. Yes. And uh, and they're they're very loving people. Uh, they're very unified. You know, uh, of course, every congregation, the old Adam, the old Adam, the old sinful nature uh, creeps up once in a while. But you know, that's that's just that's just the, the nature of us. You know, we we just got that old with that old sinful nature that we have to we have to return to our baptism and drown him. And uh, but he can swim. <laughs> and and that's why a pastor is so important. I, When I was vicaring under Ernest Gerke, we were having a meeting, and there were some people who hadn't paid for their school. Uh, you had to pay a little bit for the school to send your kids. And while we were talking about one individual, one of the members in the meeting said, well, I know that he only flushes his toilet once a day to save money. (laughs) Immediately, the pastor looked at him and said, we will not have that kind of talk in this church. (laughs) Good for him. (laughs) Because everybody was laughing, you know. But it was obviously... And they they all knew who who he was talking about, too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was by name. But I always remember the pastor interjecting God's word in there. Well, thank Pastor Smith. Thank you very much for helping us with Son of God, Eternal Savior. And we're looking forward to both of us singing it in our worship services this coming week. And tomorrow... Law and Gospel will deal with the book of Proverbs. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. 
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.